Proverbs chapter 16. Someone asked me uh, yesterday where I was going after I finished the Proverbs. (laughs) Others have asked, when are you ever going to finish the Proverbs? But we are looking through at least the next few weeks, maybe about four or five more weeks. We're looking at God's wisdom for our lives. And we have seen, I think, God's wisdom applied in so many different areas. And as we look today and we look at these first nine verses in particular, you'll see, I think, how God speaks to the plan and the purpose that he has for us. Indeed, he speaks about a wise plan that he wants us to follow and how to see him and how to follow him through that. I want you to see Proverbs chapter 16. It's King Solomon writes and he says, The preparations of the heart belong to man. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. The Lord has made all for himself, yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Now, for a moment, I want you to think about the plans that you have. Let's say, let's think about the plans that you have just for this day, okay? Obviously, you got up this morning, and after you got everything settled, and all of the children finally in one accord, or maybe as you uh, got your husband or your wife in one accord, you made it to church this morning. It's a great start to church. That was your plan for this day. But I have a feeling that you have more than just a plan of going to church today. Hopefully, you have a plan of going to Sunday school. I didn't hear an amen on that one. Lord, you gotta, we got to work on them. Go to Sunday school, and then some of you have a meal planned. Some of you have thought about inviting the preacher. You were just trying to wait until the last minute, but you've got a meal planned. And then uh, what you're going to do is maybe, if you're like me, God gives me one of the best days on Sunday because there's a nap right after the meal, and then there are all kinds of things going on. Now, remember, we don't have church tonight because I know you'd be back for that, but remember, no church this evening, but you still have plans. For some of us, we're going to get together with Sunday school groups and we're going to have a good time and that'll be great. Think about all the plans that we have. I mean, even for this day, sometimes they can crowd our mind, can't they? Just the plans we have today. And then on Sunday night, usually Leslie and I will look and we'll look across the week and we'll say, okay, what do we have each night? What do we have each day? What do the children have? And you begin making those plans and before you know it, you're exhausted just in the planning state. Well, I want you to know today that as you think about all the plans that you have, all the different things that you are involved with, I want you to be reminded that God has a plan for you. And I think that is seen in these verses. I want you to see how you can think about that plan and how you can really find it, how you can follow it in your life. One, I want you to see that first, as you come to this place this morning, as you think about the plans you have and the plan God has, one, you just simply have to first recognize that God has a plan for you. 
You have to recognize that in your life. You have to come to a place where you say, God, I know that you have a plan and you have a purpose for me. And he has that for everyone. Now, look, all of us, again, have our own plans. If you'll notice what verse 1 says, it says the preparations of the heart belong to man. Notice the preparations, the many plans that we have in our heart belong to man. Verse 9, it says, a man's heart plans his way. We all have our plans, as we mentioned a moment ago. And not just in the small details of life, but many of us have our plans as far as how we think things should go in our lives. We should have this kind of job. We should follow this in our life. We should have our family uh, situated in this way. We all have our own intentions and our own plans, even in the big items of life. Note, though, where most of our plans come from. Most of our plans come from what? Our heart. It says that the preparation of man belongs to the heart. It says in uh, verse 9, a man's heart plans his way. That it's usually within the heart that these things originate. Our own heart. Now, what's wrong with that? I mean, aren't we supposed to be hearty type of people? People with hearts? What's wrong with always using your heart to guide your plan and your purpose? Remember what Jeremiah says to us about our heart? Jeremiah says to us about our heart that our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In other words, when we decide that we're going to follow God's plan, oh, well, we're going to just do our own thing instead of following God's plan, and we're going to go by our heart, our heart can lead us astray. We can do what we think we should do. Notice what it says in this passage. In this passage, in verse 2, it says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own heart. In other words, when we begin to develop plans for our lives and we reckon these things, they seem to be right and pure and clean. I mean, we can can reason with the best of them, right? I've often thought that the best lawyers should be Baptist lawyers. Why? Because we Baptists can reason things to death. We can absolutely think, I mean, we, we have all the protocols. We have, I mean, to think about all the different things. We can make it logical in our lives. We can justify just about anything. And certainly you can when you're drawing just simply from your heart. Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But here it originates in the heart. It says in verse 25 that there's a way that seems right to a man. In other words, there's a way... There are plans that we can justify in our lives and we can follow even though they are derived from our own desires and not necessarily from God's desires. Now, part of that is because it grows out of our pride. Notice verse 5, it says, Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. The reason we adopt certain plans and we can justify them is because... We have pride in our heart. We think that we're in control. We think we are the best. We think we know what's best for our lives. God doesn't. God, it's we're the ones that are living in this skin. And thus we are the ones that should be making the decisions for our lives. And that pride swells up. You know, pride, it can be contagious in our lives. It can poison our plants. Pride is something that is easily come by but not so easily dislodged in our hearts and lives. 
I remember walking into the hospital in Picayune, Mississippi years ago and uh, went in to see Miss Marjorie, no, Miss Marguerite Hall. Miss Marguerite Hall. I went in to see Miss Marguerite and this first time I'd ever met her. And we began talking for a moment and she looked at me and she said, man, you remind me of somebody. I said, yes, ma'am, I do. She said, yes, there was a, I remember this young man, you, and you look just like him. And he was one of the most handsome guys I've ever seen in my life. It's awesome, you know. And, and I said, well, I appreciate that, Miss Margaret. And, and I mean, she went, on, she went on and on. About four or five times, she told me how awesome I looked, how wonderful, how handsome. And I'm talking about the pride was just swelling up within me. I could just feel it in my life. I could feel my head growing bigger by the moment. And like most of our church members, just as soon as they build you up, they tear you down. She looked at me and she said, but you know something? If I remember right, that man wasn't worth killing, she said. I said, Miss Marguerite. I said, Miss Marguerite, I hope that I'm at least worth killing. I remember telling her that. Never forget that pride can, be so, can come so easily in our lives. It can be so hard to dislodge from time to time. And when we allow pride to inform our decision-making and our plans and our preparation instead of being humble before the Lord and seeking His plans, then before we know it, even though they appear right in our own eyes, even though they look good to us, even though all those things seem to happen in our lives, the, the end is destruction. So first, you have to come to God and you have to say, God, I recognize that you have a plan for me. And that's assumed in this passage. I mean, in this passage, it is basically contrasting the hearts of men with the heart of God. It is contrasting the plans of man with the plan of God. Notice the preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. The Lord has made all for himself. Notice throughout this passage, it is assumed that God has a plan. And certainly God has a plan for us and God has a plan for you. No matter who you are, you're a five-year-old young man. Listen to me. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for your life, and he's going to show that to you. Maybe you're 20-something years old. You're working through the plans and preparation of, of, of the things that you believe God wants to accomplish. Let me say to you, God has a plan, and recognize that he has a plan for you. For the unborn child... For the unborn child, God has a plan and a purpose. For the 75-year-old, for the 95-year-old, God has a plan and a purpose. I believe that as long as there's breath in your body, God has a plan and a purpose for you. I've talked through these moments before with different people. I remember a deacon who was, who was suffering from Parkinson's. And he was not able to get up and go much anymore. He was basically contained to his home. And he looked at me one time and he said, he said, Reggie, why would God leave me here? Why would 
I remain in this place. And I looked at him and I said very honestly, Larry, I don't know exactly what God wants, the plan that he has for your life, but I know this. God has a plan. Well, I can't go and do like I used to do. I said, let me ask you this. Can you pray? Haven't we always taught in our churches that the power of prayer, maybe God has you in this place. You can't do anything else, but let me tell you what you can do is you can pray and you can pray for me and you can pray for that church and God honors prayers. We've always said that. Maybe that's God's plan and purpose right now in your life. I don't care who you are. I don't care what age you are. As long as there's breath in your body, God has a plan and a purpose for you. We need to recognize that. We have to we have to dislodge the pride. We have to come humbly before him and say, God, we know we've got all kinds of plans. We know we have all kinds of preparations. But God, we recognize that you have a plan for us. And then after recognizing that plan in your life, listen to me, you commit your life to God's plan. You recognize that he has a plan, and then you commit your life. To God's plan. Look in verse 3. It says, commit your works to the Lord. Commit your works to the Lord. That word commit literally means to roll away. As if you were to take a stone that had been in front of a cave and roll it away. Or perhaps you were taking a stone in, in the uh, Middle East at that time. And you would place a stone on top of a well to protect the well and the water. The integrity of the water. Perhaps you would place that stone, you would roll it on. Proverbs 26, 27. The verb is actually translated roll instead of commit. So get this idea. Is that you're committing yourself to the work or committing your works to the Lord himself. And sometimes it takes, sometimes it takes some energy. It, it's almost like you're trying to roll a stone, isn't it? To say, I'm going to commit to the Lord. I'm going to trust him. I mean... You got to, it will take some energy in your life where you say, I will commit myself to God's plan. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to really do it. And I'm going to make this initial step. I'm going to place myself in his hands. I'm going to commit myself to the Lord. I'm going to commit my works to him. There should be an initial decision in our lives where we say, we are going to follow God's plan. We're going to commit ourselves, that initial step, to listen to God and to follow Him. Now listen, if you make the decision to follow Him, if you make the decision to humble yourself before His plan and not your own, you better be ready for what He's going to do in your life. And you better be willing to follow him no matter what. Because you know what? Sometimes God's plan doesn't seem to line up with our plans. Have you ever been there before? Where you thought you had everything just totally figured out. This was exactly what was going to happen in your life. And when you came before him and you recognized that he had a plan and you committed yourself to that plan and God revealed that plan to you, you realized, oh, there are going to be some changes in our lives. Ask Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. 
God spoke to him and gave him this promise, which is the seminal passage for Israel even to this day. He gave him this call upon his life, and he said, I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you. I want to work in your life. This is what I'm going to accomplish. Genesis 12, 1 through 3 really records the promise. Verse 4, so Abram departed. In other words, he made that initial step to go. And it meant that he would go in a place that he would go in a place that he did not even know where he was going. God was going to direct him along the way. And for you to come and say, God, I'm committing myself and I want to do what you want me to do. Now listen, if you say that, that means you truly want to do what he wants you to do. See, this is the way a lot of us come. We come and we say, God, we commit ourselves to your plan (laughs) as long as it follows the things we've kind of already got in place. Oh, me? There's a time when it's like, God, now you can touch all these things over here and you can rearrange these things, but God, now don't don't you disrupt this area of our lives. But that is not what God wants God wants us to come before him just like Abram and for us to commit and truly commit to fall on his way, even if it means that he does something totally different. God has moved in some of those ways in my life just like he has in yours. I remember when I was in Picayune, it was around April time, I got a call from First Baptist Church of Zachary. actually got a letter in the mail from them to start with, and I said, where in the world is Zachary? Like some of you probably have said before. I said, I don't even know where that is. Uh, my professor, Dr. Oje, who was, I was grading for at the time, he had seen me a month before, and he had said, uh, Reggie, I want you to turn a resume in to me. And I looked at him, and I said, Dr. Oje, uh, don't think I want to do that. Uh, very happy where I am. Things are going awesome don't want to do it. He said, okay, that's fine. A month later again, he asked me for my resume. I told him the same thing. Dr. OJ, don't think I want to do that. Enjoy my, where I am. It's awesome. Don't want to. And he said, Reggie, you forget who the professor is in this relationship. Yeah, some of you have used that too, huh, before? You've forgotten who the professor is. I will receive a resume from you. And I said, yes, sir, you will as soon as I get back to the I didn't even ask him where he was sending it. I did not want to know where he was sending it. I didn't even want to think about leaving at that point. And yet, I received the questionnaire. Then I received the phone call. And about, I guess, uh, August, God had me there. Do you know how unsettling it is, for example, to get a phone call from Dwight Anderson? Some of you who know him, you got that. You understand, right? Walking through the hall at First Baptist Zachary. Get a phone call from Dwight. Step into the little library that we had. I stuttered. I stammered. I did a little bit of it all. And yet, God worked in his own way to bring me here. And listen, now my motto is, I wasn't born here, but I got here as soon as I could. You know? (laughs) I'm saying to you that when you, when you literally expend the energy 
to roll your trust and your faith into him, to commit your works to him, to say, God, I'm, I'm open to your plan and I want to follow your plan, then you better get ready for God to work in your life. And he may, he may do something that would totally violate every plan and preparation that you had made before. But again, there's a way that seems right to man. In the end, there's death. But if you follow God's plan... You'll find strength. And you'll find peace. Now listen. You recognize God's plan for you. You commit yourself to God's plan. And you follow God's plan. Why did I insert that here? Because I began thinking about this. That you can commit your works. And there is that initial step. Which is important. But you've got to continue to follow God's plan. It's one thing to step out in faith and say, this is what I'm going to do. It's another thing to take the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth step of faith and say, I'm going to continue to do what he has called me to do. I want to continue in that plan and that purpose. I believe God has one. I'm committing myself to it. And then I am following it. I am following it in every way, in the ways that God has called me to follow. Occasionally we decide again to revert back to our own plans and to help God out a little bit. Case in point, case in point, Abraham. Remember God said something to him like this, Abram, you're going to have descendants that you cannot even begin to count. More descendants than the stars, than the sand on the seashore. You'll have so many descendants, you'll have so many people that there will be a nation that will be formed. Well, if there are going to be many descendants and there's going to be this nation, then there has to be a child somewhere along the way. And God had promised a child to Abraham. But Abraham grew impatient. Been in those shoes before? The shoes of impatience? He grew impatient. And... As he spoke with his wife, they came up with this plan of their own that maybe I just will go into Hagar, she will conceive, she will have a child, that will be the heir. It was a plan B type of moment. Or at the very least, let's help God out here and provide the heir. But listen, God does not need our help to fulfill his promise. Now, God's using us. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying to you that he doesn't need us to get involved and say, okay, God, we know that you can't quite handle this at this point, so we'll revert to plan B and we'll do what, we'll do what needs to be done to accomplish your pur- purpose and promise. Guess what happened? A child was conceived just as the plan was thought out, but the child was not the promised child that had been promised by God. And you and I continue to see the results and consequences of Abraham's decision even to this day. Even as you turn on the television, the hostility and the conflict. Because Abraham said, this is what appears right to me. This is what I'm going to do. And what? There is a way that seems right to To a man, 
but its sin is the way of death. And literally, death is occurring because of plan B. I say to you that we must follow, but Dr. Reggie, what are you talking There are just times I just don't seem to know exactly what he is saying to you. May I say that we know, I, I would suggest to you that we know more than we want to admit of what God wants us to do. His primary, his primary resource to us is his scripture. And his scripture speaks to us about things we ought to do. I mean, this week I, I just kind of considered some things in my mind. Maybe for a husband that would come and say, you know, I just don't know about what's going on in my marriage relationship. I'm not sure if I should stay with the, in this relationship. I, I, I just don't, I don't think anything's there anymore. To that individual, what would I say? The words of Paul. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Period. That's God's word. That is his, that is his expressed will for you as a husband. To love your wives as Christ loved the church. For wives to show reverence to their husband and respect to their husband. How about the unmarried? Well, I'm trying to decide if God, God wants me to marry this individual. Let me give you at least a couple of qualifications here. One, do not be unequally yoked. If that person is an unbeliever, God is not calling you to marry that person. I hate to tell you this, but we need, we need to be reminded of that in our churches today. For what fellowship does light and darkness have, Paul say, says. We are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Is this an individual that's going to help you grow in your relationship to God? In your relationship together? Well, I'm wondering right now whether I should engage in such a serious relationship that it even becomes physical. The scripture says... Flee from every appearance of evil. It says that we are to remain pure to the day of our marriage, to the wedding day itself. Pretty clear, isn't it? God answers our thoughts and our, He answers our purpose and our plan. And He shows us through His Word. Children, obey your parents. Parents, fathers, do not exacerbate. Do not provoke your children to wrath. You see how practical this stuff is? You see how it applies to our lives and how it shows us God's plan? We pray about things that we ought not to ever have to pray about because God's already answered it in His Scripture. God said, this is what I want you to do. How about believers? How we relate to each other? I love this passage, Colossians, or as my professor used to say, Colossians, chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. That's some pretty good words for us as far as the plan of God for His church and His people. We're to forgive one another and love one another. It should never be up for debate. 
It should be answered already in God's word as the way we relate to one another. I'm just saying to you that when we follow, we follow. And we hear God's word to us. I say to you again that most of us know really what we should do. It's a question whether we will commit and continue to follow. To trust and obey. And then listen. We recognize that God has a plan. We commit ourselves to that plan. We follow that plan, God's plan for us. And we trust that plan to succeed. We trust that plan to succeed. And see, this is the, the frightening part of this is sometimes when you say, God, I'm not, I'm not going to control this anymore. I'm allowing you to control this. You're the one that's in charge. By the way, he's in charge anyway, whether you think he is or not. But there are times when we delude ourselves into thinking we're in control. And, and, and oh, we're, con- we're people who like to have control. You don't believe me? Just put me on an airplane for a moment. <laughs> Leslie will tell you that I get rather nervous from time to time on a plane, especially the coming up and the going down. Or maybe if there's a little turbulence in the middle. Partly because I'm thinking to myself, I, I can't do anything. I mean, I, I can't. If I go up there and try to do something, it's the end of my pastorate at Temple Baptist Church. They will lock me up so quickly. And I mean, I can't control what's happening. I'm having to trust that pilot and others who are making decisions I'm having to trust them. And that can be frightening sometimes. But listen, if I come to God and I believe that his plan will succeed, then I can trust him to take over the control and to fly as he should. And it will always succeed, his plan, his purpose. Notice some words here that speak about just God's work in a person's life. Verse 6, he had said, In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. There's a mercy and atonement. There's this covering, literally, that he says that you can see provided for your iniquity as you come to him. In verse 5, he said, Though they join forces, literally, though the enemy would, uh, or individuals that stand before God try to gather hand in hand, they will not go unpunished. In verse 7, he says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace. The Hebrew word is shalom, to be at peace with him. He says, there is going to be blessing to come out of this. There's going to be a sense of peace. There's going to be a sense of atonement and covering. He says, if you follow my plan, I am going to take care of you. That doesn't mean you're always going to have riches. He may bless you with it. That's fine. But it doesn't mean you always will have worldly success, riches, wealth. It says better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues with justice. But this is what you can know is no matter what you're blessed with, no matter what you see materially, you will have a sense of satisfaction and peace in your life because you are following God's plan and purpose for your life. He says that's what you can know. You can know that it will succeed. You can know as in verse... uh, 
verse uh, 9 says, the Lord directs his steps. In verse 3 it said, your thoughts will be established. The word established in verse 3 is the same word as directs in verse 9. Same word. The idea is that if you commit yourself to him and you're following him and his plan, then he has a way of establishing your steps, directing your steps. You can have confidence and assurance in him because you've committed yourself to him. He's the one that's going to direct you and guide you. Some people live with a distorted view of God. They think as they walk along, they're trying, they're listening, they're committed. They think, oh, if I make this one little step in the wrong direction, it's going to be terrible. I think that's a distorted view of God. I believe that if you are truly following Him and you're committed to Him and you're trying to seek Him in all things, I think He directs your steps. Now, certainly I understand there are moments like Abraham where we basically say, God, I heard what you said going my own direction. Now, there are consequences for that. But I'm talking about sincere, genuine searching and following. If you're doing that, God is the one who is protecting you, directing you, guiding you, leading you, and will succeed for you. I I truly believe that. I don't think God wants us to live every day paralyzed by fear that we're going to make one step in the wrong direction. God's going to lead us. Because get this, God is sovereign. What do I mean by that? It means God is in control. And while He has given us responsibility and He's given us choices to make, the ultimate purpose of God will never be thwarted. God will achieve His work and His plan. And get, get this, God is able to use anything and everything and to take it and weave it together in such a way that it will bring Him glory and us good. I don't know if you caught this, but in verse 4 it says, The Lord has made all for himself, yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. Now that is not a fatalistic passage that said, God just created some people to send them to hell. That's not what this means. This is not a moment to reflect on such type of theology. What it means is, is that God can take anything and everything, and in those situations, he will use them. And he has a purpose. He is going to fulfill his work. And he's going to take it and weave it together. It's the Romans 8.28 that we also love. That God can take anything, even the most evil thing, he can take it and he can use it for good and for his glory. You don't believe me? I point you toward the cross. The cross which was meant to be evil, which was meant to bring punishment, which was meant to destroy the very Son of God. What has God done? He has taken the cross, this horrific symbol, and He has provided salvation to His people. He has provided salvation to His people. You see, God is able to use anything and everything. We've got to know that God's plan will succeed. Satan will not thwart it. His, Satan's armies will not stop it. God's plan will be fulfilled. And as you follow it, as you trust him, as you believe in him, 
He will work in your life and fulfill that plan for you. Recognize that plan. Commit yourself to it. Follow it. And trust it that it will bring success. Because God is behind it.